You're listening to the Bethel Baptist Podcast. This recording is from our adult Sunday school class. Today's lesson is taught by Keith Wilkinson. All right, well, let's open up to uh, the book of James. We're going to be taking a look today at verses 19 to 27. We start off in 18 to get a little bit of a background and uh, where we're at um, and kind of put this all together. And uh, just by way of, I guess, a reminder, we've already talked about um, uh, the, the right understanding of trials, how the Christian should look at trials. And we've, uh, we kind of went from the trials then to making sure that we have a right understanding of temptation. Uh, the Christian needs to know that. We, we can't go through life. Uh, and what I mentioned at the end of the session, the last time we met, this right understanding of temptation is really connected to a right understanding of who we are and a right understanding of who God is. And when our understanding of God gets out of whack, uh, then our understanding of who we are gets out of whack. <laughs> we have a much higher view of who we are or how good we are if we don't have a right understanding of who God is. And so that's what I want us to take a look at again you have that in the notes that you have. Um, uh, really, this uh, section 18 to 27 talking about our response to God's word. And that's what we want to think about as, as we go through this section. Uh, the first thing that I want to talk about in verse 18, well, let's read, uh, well, I'll, I'll mention this first and then we'll move on to, to reading the, the other uh, verses. Uh, in verse 18, it says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So who in verse 18, who's the one that's acting? God. Yeah, God is the one who's acting. And God is the, what, what is God doing there in verse 18? How is he acting? Yeah, he is definitely acting as a father. It says there, in the exercise of his will. So again, this is his will. It's not our will, <laughs> which is very important. We've got to be mindful. Um, God is not interested in the sense of our will going forward. He's interested in his will going forward. We, certainly that came through in the sermon this morning. right? His will is the thing that is moving forward. You see, just again, in the book of Ruth, this wonderful understanding of his will, the, uh, the wonderful understanding that he is going to uh, provide a kinsman redeemer. And we see this picture of that in the book of Ruth through Boaz. Um, you know, and, and as Pastor Kirk was talking about some of the things with regard to the inheritance, um, the thing that we, you could spend a lot of time talking about this in the book of Ruth. Uh, the understanding that the redemption that was happening there certainly is, in their mind, as a physical redemption. Without a rightful heir, so to speak, um, you don't get to keep your land. You don't get to enjoy the promises of the land that is yours by inheritance. That's why it's so important for Ruth to have a child, to have a son. right? But that's all tied to an earthly inheritance. Uh, certainly it's important because, and we've mentioned this before, because of the land, the land issue. 
um, that goes back to the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, that's all part of the promise, the promise of the land. But it, again, it's, that's an earthly thing. That does, uh, floating behind all of that, is the spiritual reality. What God is doing to move forward to provide a redeemer in the spiritual sense. Uh, yes, it does have to do with land in, in a sense, um, when we have a new heaven and a new earth, but it is, um, it's more than that. It's uh, about us being redeemed from um, our sin, being bought back, if you will, as Pastor Kirk mentioned, um, taken out of darkness and, and put into light. Uh, we're being transferred from one kingdom to a different kingdom. Uh, this spiritual reality uh, that is, is there. And so we, we have that aspect of what's going on. It's God's will that is moving all things forward. And we want to be aware of that. We want to always be aware of that. Um, I, you know, even just going to Ann's uh, prayer request here this morning for Rich. I mean, the, um, we can pray for the physical healing that he has need of. Um, but ultimately, that's not, that's not the, uh, the most beneficial thing for him. No, he may think it's the most beneficial thing for him, but it's not. Right, the most beneficial thing for him is spiritual healing. That's what he is in desperate need of. Uh, so here in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Um, uh, what, did, what did he do by bringing us forth? Bringing us forth from what to what? Yeah, he brought us to life, really, right? From darkness to light. That's what he's getting at. He brought us forth by the word of truth. By the word of truth. Uh, certainly we could talk about that. He's, he's talking about the gospel there. He's talking about uh, scripture. That is how we're all born again. We're not born again apart from the word of God. And so that is what he's getting at there with regard to the word of truth. And then... Why did he bring us forth by the word of truth? To, to, to uh, have us be born again. Is, he, he gives us a purpose for that, right? What is the purpose there? What does he say right there at the end of verse 18? Yeah, that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. What is he getting at there? What is he talking about with regard to us being first fruits? among his creatures. Josh. Yeah. Yeah, we are a prized possession. Uh, we don't think about it that way. I don't think many times that we're a prized possession. He's not trying to elevate our thought of who we are because, again, this is all tied to God's will. He's not doing this so that we look better than others, so that we um, have a better status in society. None of those things. Again, this is all tied to His will. This is something that glorifies God. Us being brought forth as first fruits is something to glorify God. And we definitely want to make sure that, um, uh, that we keep that in perspective on the tail of what He's already talked about. Trials, temptations, and then what we're talking about today, and that's our response to God's Word. 
Right? He's telling us that this has happened according to his word, and then he's going to tell us how to properly respond to his word. He's not bringing us, you know, again, uh, this idea of bringing us forth as the first fruits. He doesn't just leave it there. Because if he did, you'd kind of go, well, what does that have to do with me? Right? He brought me forth, but kind of so what? And this is where James is, is moving this along. And that's why in verse uh, 19 we see, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to, to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so he's giving us ways to understand how it is that we are this prized possession. Or maybe you could say we have the right understanding that when we don't behave these ways, uh, we're not acting like a prized possession. <laughs> um, we're acting like something other than that. And so, again, it's just this right understanding of how we are to live the Christian life. He's continuing to build on this. Uh, how do we rightly respond to, to uh, trials? How do we rightly respond to temptation? How do we rightly respond to God's Word? How do we show ourselves to be this prized possession? That's what he's ultimately getting at. And so let's take a look at all of these verses, and uh, then we'll come back and, and pick up on the, uh, the outline there where we're talking more about the, the first fruits. So in verse uh, 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so he's just laying this all out. He's telling them this is what this looks like in, in uh, responding to God's word properly. We have been brought forth by God's word, and then how does this apply to our daily life? And hopefully what we see here today will help us to understand that, uh, well, maybe a couple things. Um, James, from the get-go in this letter, is not, he's not sugarcoating anything. <laughs> I mean, hopefully you've kind of picked that up in just in chapter one. He is not sugarcoating anything, and he's, again, just a, by way of reminder, he's talking to people who are in very difficult circumstances. Uh, many of these people have lost everything. They are no longer in their homeland, and life is extremely tough. And uh, what would our world say that we should give to a message of, uh, of those kinds of people? What should we say to those kinds of people today? 
Come on, somebody. Got it. <laughs> yeah, think positive. All right, <laughs> this is your best life now. Um, right, the idea. Uh, right in modern culture is that when somebody is going through tough times, somebody is going through a, a a very difficult set of circumstances, is that we need to kind of build their self-esteem. We need to make them feel better about who they are or whatever they're going through. Right? It's it's uh, uh, emotionally driven. We have to get them to find a way to feel better about themselves. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that we don't do that in certain ways, but that is certainly not the message that we're getting in chapter one of the book of James. Uh, what he's telling them here is very difficult. And he's just, he's being real with them. And he's letting them know that just because your circumstances are difficult, that's not a reason to cash it in, so to speak. It's actually just the opposite. It's time to up the game. That's not the message you hear in modern day Christianity by any stretch of the imagination. He is being, he's being very transparent, very real with them about their understanding of God, their understanding of who they are, and certainly how they are to continue to live their life in the midst of all these difficult circumstances. And we're going to see some of that today as we continue to go through that. And so we, uh, again, we already talked about that God brought us forth for His glory, not our benefit. That's a very important thing to think about as we think about what we see in the book of James, James, but also our own lives. When we get very self-absorbed, uh, it could be regarding a number of circumstances, whatever those circumstances might be. Now, we have to be mindful that God has brought us forth for His glory and not our benefit. And I think many times we get that kind of turned upside down in the quote-unquote modern Christian life. Um, we think about the um, Luther's catechism. Um, I mean, that's, that's question one, right? Um, <clears throat> in the sense of... Uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, in the sense of what is our role here uh, on, on earth, right? What is the chief end of man uh, to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? That, that's, there's nothing in there about us, <laughs> All right? We're, we're absent from that. And that's really the idea of, of what uh, uh, this quote is all about. Uh, that uh, first question in the catechism, does anybody know? Well, there's a few scripture passages, but there's one that uh, comes to mind right away that, that would back that up. Anybody know what that would be? I know I'm asking a pretty tough question, but <laughs> Chuck, oh, Mary's got it. Yeah, we got that. Do you know what scripture that would be tied to? Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, one of the scriptures that would be used there would be 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? Whatever you, uh, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that passage is very important because it's talking about when it says there, whether you eat or drink, 
those are two of the most mundane things in life. They really don't have any value to anyone else. <laughs> I mean, that's what it would appear, right? Um, <clears throat> so we think about the most mundane things in life. We are called to glorify God even in that. And so very important that we keep that in mind as we think about what's going to unfold here. But that's really what we're called to do is we're called to glorify God. That's why He brought us forth. And so the question that comes out of that is, has God brought you forth? Right? We want to think about that. We want to examine ourselves. Has God truly brought me forth? And again, we always, uh, for the parents, we always want to come back uh, to that with our children. And I think Paul Tau just talked about that. It's a thing that needs to be reinforced over and over again is that uh, many times we parent in a way where we are so desperate to get our children to make a profession of faith that once they make that profession of faith, we kind of have this attitude of they're good. Uh, they're in the kingdom and we can just kind of move on with life. Uh, they're a Christian now and uh, almost to some extent they can take care of themselves. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, so we always have to be coming back to them with the gospel uh, to make sure as much as we can possibly do that uh, to make sure that they truly are a believer. They have truly made a profession of faith that their profession of faith isn't just not because of some other kids in youth group that did that or they were at a youth rally and, and uh, somebody got them all hyped up on sugar and whatever else and, and uh, they're feeling good about themselves and now they made a profession of faith, right? So we just want to be careful with those things. And uh, it's a good question to ask ourselves as we think about our kids, our grandkids, all that, that you know, has God brought them forth? Has God brought me forth? Uh, we want to uh, have that question in the forefront of our mind. All right. So how are we to be the first fruits? That really, I think, would be the, the question. If God has brought us forth uh, as first fruits, then how are we to be first fruits? Um, and the three things that I have out of these verses, uh, first one out of 19 and 20, pursue the righteousness of God. Uh, the second thing is humbly receive the word of God in 21, and then prove yourselves to be a doer of the word, verses 22 to 27. So th those are the ways that we can, uh, that we are to be uh, the first fruits of God. Pursue the righteousness of God, humbly receive the word of God, and then prove yourselves to be a doer of the word, verses 22 to 27. And, and uh, just maybe on that last one, to be a, the connection of the word of God and being a doer of the word of God. Uh, when, when the true disciple hears God's word, there is an affection for its truth and a desire in his heart to obey it. And uh, those, again, are very important things. Uh, the people that talk about the word of God and you talk about being obedient to the Word of God, and they grumble and complain, um, or you can tell that they just are not happy about obeying the Word of God. That is a uh, yeah. It, that's kind of concerning. That's very concerning. We should we should want to um, we should joyfully want to obey uh, the Word of God. That's, that's God's best for us. Uh, that is God's best. And so we, we want to make sure uh, we do that. Now, I kind of mentioned before that uh, kind of 
well, here God is uh, through through James is really making sure that that we understand how the Christian life is to be lived, and he's not sugarcoating anything. Even in the midst of giving a difficult message, there is encouragement. I mean, James does provide encouragement. I think many times we um, <laughs> uh, we kind of blow by that. That's why it's good to read slowly. Um, and he he does let them know that he cares about them, and as we get, we give the truth of God's word to people at times that can be hard for them to hear. We want to encourage them or or let them know that we care about them as we give them that tough message. And so, um, in verse nineteen, this you know, and then the next part, my beloved brethren. That's a very important little phrase that is included there. Uh, that's his way of letting them know that he deeply cares for them. Uh, he uh, he wants them to know that he understands their difficulties. He wants them to know that he wants the best for them, and so that's why you see that that phrased in there. That phrase in there. Uh, he 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 is telling them that he desperately cares for them. He's not just throwing this at them as some. A religious leader that doesn't have to deal with anything or is completely unaware of their circumstances, all of that stuff. He he desperately loves them. He desperately cares for them. And again, that goes back to his position uh, with the church in Jerusalem. He was a leader in the church of Jerusalem, uh, and he's not uh, he's not exempt from the the difficulties of life. So that's just what he's uh, letting them know. And so, again, we just want to look at how we are to be the first fruits, how we are to act, what our life should look like. And that really is just this outflowing of verse 18, uh, where he's told us to, that God has made us the, the first fruits. And that really is then kind of followed up with this idea of, so then, because of what he's done, we need to live our lives. And it will give this particular result if we do it that way. Notice in verse 19. Uh, he says, this you know, my beloved brethren, beloved brethren, but everyone must be. What he's writing there is a command. But that, that's not a suggestion on how we to live our lives. It would be a good idea if you would do this. Uh, might I suggest to you that you should put these things into practice? Uh, no, he's speaking very authoritatively here. You must do these things. Again, not optional for the believer. So he's letting them know that uh, even in the midst of their difficulties, this is not optional for them. This is required by God. And so it's an imperative. It's a command. They must be quick to hear. That's why we starts out there, right? <clears throat> but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. Again, for the reader, the hearer of this letter, uh, this is really an examination of authentic Christianity. Um, and certainly what he's saying here to these readers or these hearers applies to us. This is, isn't something that's just historical, and we can kind of put it aside because uh, he's not writing to us. No, he is writing to us through the through the Holy Spirit, He is writing to us. And so that's why we look at these things. And the first one being pursue the righteousness of God. And I've already mentioned uh, um, uh, kind of how this is laid out. 
Well, how do we pursue the righteousness of God in verses 19 and 20? This you may know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So he's telling us, well, what is he telling us there? I don't need to lecture. You can... What is he saying there? Don't do this, right? Yeah. Yeah, or kind of phrase another way. If you do this, you are not displaying the righteousness of God. Right? There is a way to display the righteousness of God, but by contrast, there's also then a wrong way to display the righteousness of God. Or the way you act is actually displaying unrighteousness. Why is kind of what he's saying here so important? Yeah. We don't always hear correctly even when we're listening. <laughs> we don't always hear correctly even when we're listening. That's a good point, John. We don't always. Maybe I'm admitting guilt. That's right. Is there anything you'd like to confess this morning? <laughs> um, no. Sometimes I have preconceived notions before faith tells me. Yeah, and I think that's, that's uh, for a lot of us, that applies. Now we get kind of in a train of thought. We think that a person's moving in this direction. This is where they're headed with what they're saying. And it turns out they're not saying that at all. Right? Um, that's why it's always good to have, uh, what do they call it, uh, drive-through talking. Um, you know, you go to a drive-through and they, you give them their order and they say something back to you, which you can't really understand. Right? Then so, you go, you know, would you say that again? I didn't hear you or didn't understand. Um, they try to do it again. It's kind of the same thing when we communicate with people. Uh, we want to, uh, they say something to us, we can ask questions to make sure we understand what they're talking about. What was the intent of their message? Communication is really a very simple thing. It's not very difficult at all. Uh, there is a sender and there's a receiver. The sender is sending a message. And the intent is to make sure that the one who receives it takes it the, the exact same way that I sent it. Again, very simple, but as human beings, we have a way of making that very difficult. Again, and a lot of that can happen with different things. <clears throat> Something can come across differently because of body language, because of tone of voice, uh, because of uh, certain words that we maybe use that are, are not words that we should use. We think they mean something, but they actually mean something else, right? And so just understanding vocabulary, things like that. Um, uh, we have to be very careful with all those things as we communicate. And we can, uh, we can mess that up uh, fairly quickly. And so we want to think about those things. And that's why it's good with that kind of questioning that goes back and forth, uh, kind of in light of what John mentioned, is to ask questions, right? The, the person who's sending the message sends the message. The receiver wants some clarification because maybe they're not quite sure what that message means or how they should take it. And they now become the person who's sending the message and the person that was the message sender is now the receiver, all right? And it's a way of clarifying what the message is actually about or how it should be taken.
And so we want to be very careful uh, with those things. But yeah, this is just very important <clears throat> in the end of 20 there where he's talking about, <clears throat> for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's what this is all about. Again, we're talking about God's glory, uh, making sure that we live in a way that exemplifies God's glory. And we do when we do things that are unrighteous, there is no way that we are glorifying God. It cannot happen. And he's making it clear here there's only two ways. There's the righteous way, and there's the unrighteous way. There's no third, fourth, fifth option. That's it. And again, that's something very important for us to, uh, to be mindful of. And so what he's talking about here in 19 uh, and 20, there are three components of pursuing righteousness. What he's talking about here. Now, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And certainly he's tying the last one uh, with uh, the righteousness and unrighteousness. And so uh, slow to anger, then we are um, uh, pursuing the righteousness of God. We're quick to anger. Obviously, we're not pursuing the righteousness of God. And so we want to let those things uh, really, really sink in as we think about um, uh, all of these things. Go ahead and turn. I don't think I've got this in here. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 5.22. And this just gives us a little bit of a, a framing of the anger issue. There's other places in Scripture we could go. Certainly, I, uh, for me, I always like to talk about uh, Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain's anger. Uh, I love to talk about the book of Jonah, Jonah's anger in, in chapter 4 of Jonah. Uh, two great places to understand the devastating effects of anger or how uh, horribly anger can uh, destroy a person's life. But here in in Matthew 5, in verse 22, it says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty even enough to go into the fiery hell. Uh, so he's making a point here that anger is obviously not good. And it's not just the outward manifestation of anger. Uh, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's talking about heart issues. He is turning the world of uh, that, that time on its head because they thought everything was tied to outward actions. If you just look a certain way or act a certain way, then everything's okay. You're, you're okay with God. And he's letting them know that that's not true. It's all about what's going on in our heart. And so if we have this burning anger inside of us, if we have a problem with anger and that happens, um, uh, our, our response to different circumstances are to get uh, really heated with regard to anger in our heart. Uh, we are not pursuing the righteousness of God. We will never pursue the righteousness of God with that. And so that's why we've got to be very careful as we think about uh, those things. Kind of the question, when we look at those three components, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, um, maybe a question would come out of just those three things. 
and I'll let you, you nobody has to answer this um, unless you want to, but <laughs> I don't think anybody will. Um, do you find yourself continually talking about your situation and not listening to what God's word has to say about your situation? That's very important. We talk about our situation or our life or whatever's going on. Um, we love to talk about those things. But all the time we're talking about those things, about my problems, my whatever, uh, we're not listening to what God's Word has to say about our situation. We're not researching God's Word to see what His Word has to say about our situation. And again, that really is a turn from uh, being God-focused to being self-focused. And so we think about that. That would be a question that would come out of just these three things that he mentions there, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, and the other question would be that if we, if we would answer that first question in the affirmative, yes, I am continually talking about my circumstances and not listening to what God has to say about my situation. <clears throat> if that's the case, um, then if we're continually talking, how do we ever expect to learn? That's a very important aspect of the listening. If we're always talking, then we're not listening. If we're not listening, we're never learning. Right? So for the kids here, listen to your mom and dad. Talk less and listen to mom and dad more. Right? For us adults here, <laughs> talk less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of us need to have that message, right? Talk less and listen more. Yeah, Gary. Right. Yeah, it, it's true what you know, Gary's saying there. Um, that's what people are taught today is really to make everything about themselves. I mean, that really is the um, uh, kind of the emphasis of the self-esteem movement. And that's been around for a long time. Uh, most people think that self-esteem, well, maybe you don't, you're a different crowd, but uh, most people think the self-esteem movement really started in the uh, 80s, uh, maybe mid-80s. Uh, in schools, uh, and it was. It was very prominent in the, the school system in the 80s in this idea of building self-esteem, how it was critical for kids to uh, have this high self-esteem. And that was really uh, the product of um, the psychological movement uh, in this country as well. But the self-esteem issue has really been around for a lot longer than that. In fact, you go back to uh, World War II, and the military was conducting studies about self-esteem and the benefits of self-esteem as it relates to soldiers. But was there a benefit in having self-esteem in the military? Would they be better soldiers, uh, uh, better combatants, you know, whatever you want to phrase there? And their, their findings, which you don't hear about, was that the self-esteem movement actually produced a worse soldier. Um, it did not do anything to make them better 
soldiers, better fighters, better whatever. Um, and so even in the midst of all of the information that's available with regard to the, uh, the negativity of the self-esteem movement uh, that has just continued to push through in the uh, public school system. The irony yeah. of the whole thing is you have to teach people to make everything about themselves. <laughs> right, yeah, Ed brings up a great point. You don't have to teach people to uh, focus on themselves, right? They're going to do that naturally. And we know that right from Genesis 3, right? N nothing has changed. And uh, yeah, when we, uh, you know, the sad thing for me is that you have a lot of, uh, a lot of churches, especially in America here, that have moved in that direction. That they have to make their their uh, congregants feel better about themselves, and that has produced nothing. It's really resulted in weak Christianity, um, uh, an unfaithful gospel, if you will. And so we have to be very careful about those things. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So a, a good test for all of us is to pay attention to the conversations we have and the balance of input of those involved. Right. We want to be careful about the input. If we are the one dominating the conversation, then we have to realistically evaluate how interested we are in learning. If we're always talking, we're not interested in learning. And so we want to pair those two things uh, together. Ultimately, all of these are about not being self-focused, but about being God-focused. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger is all about being God-focused, about being concerned about the righteousness and the glory of God. And again, that goes back to what we were uh, talking about before, right? uh, rightly understanding who God is. Uh, while many today would have us believe that it's okay to be angry, Notice that James does not encourage us to be angry. Again, that's another thing within the psychological realm. Uh, you just need to find a, uh, a good way of expressing your anger. All right, you get angry with somebody, you just need to get it out. That's what the world tells us. Uh, get a baseball bat and a pillow and go beat that pillow. Right? That, that is a way to get rid of your anger. Uh, that's a, a good way to vent your anger. Well, the Bible never tells us anything like that. And especially here, we're supposed to be slow uh, to anger, right? And so uh, we need to be thinking about those things. That's why it's so important to look at everything according to the Word of God. Um, and again, as he's talking about here, uh, the, the must be implies a necessity. It is essential to be quick to hear, slow to speak in slow to anger. Again, it's not some suggestion. It's what we need to really pay attention to. We have to obey what he's telling us here. This is a command. So when he's talking about quick to hear, to hear what? And I would argue here what he's talking about is God's word, which is tied to verses 18 and 21. If someone is talking to us and the whole time they're talking, we are formulating how we're going to retaliate then we have no concern for what is being said and only concern for how we look or justifying who we are, right? Uh, we're not concerned about what God's word would say in the situation or being taught by God's word on how to respond to the situation. Now, we can be listening to what a person is telling us and formulating in our mind, what is God wanting me to learn from this? Maybe God's not wanting to, me to learn anything from this other than that person's foolish. But even in that, how am I going to respond to that person? 
How am I going to respond to someone's foolishness? Kind of as John mentioned, if we're not listening to them, uh, we're just looking at things in the world's way of doing things. I I don't like what they're saying. Um, uh, I need to find a way to put them in their place. Um, I'm going to show them how smart I am. All of those things are what's coming to to our minds, and that's what we have to be careful with. And so that's what uh, James is getting at here. We want to be quick to hear, and and the thing we want to be quick to hear is God's Word in the sense of what is actually going on in the situation. Uh, And certainly we want to be mindful of being taught the Word of God in the sense of all things. But it's interesting how this comes up after he's just finished talking about two very difficult circumstances. He's just finished talking about teaching them from the Word of God uh, about trials and temptation. Things that I would imagine at this point they don't want to hear. But that's what God's Word would tell them they need to know and to apply. Right? He's just got done going through two very difficult lessons, trials and temptation. And now he's reinforcing you need to, in in essence, you need to listen to this. You need to listen to what's being taught you, just as well as other things. As you continue to live life, you need to listen. You need to listen, right? So we got to be careful about how we. uh, how we go about our life. And certainly this would be associated with the, the next part, the slow to speak, right? Uh, it's The slow to speak is really a reference to the eagerness to hear God's Word, to evaluate through God's Word, to rightly recognize through God's Word, right? Um, we don't want to just kind of run off at the mouth about whatever. Again, that kind of comes back to what John was talking about, making sure we we properly listen uh, because we're not wanting to speak out of that which we do not know or that we're, um, uh, we've got wrong. We have it wrong because we haven't listened, and now we're just going to spew forth a bunch of stuff that uh, we think in our mind or our heart is the right response. So uh, we have to be careful with that. Um, And again, it's just important that that follows the quick to hear. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. If we are uh, quick to hear, if we obey in that, we will be slow to speak. Right? There's a benefit in the progression there. Quick to hear. That keeps us from speaking harshly or quickly or rapidly uh, or out of a lack of knowledge. And so we want to be careful about that. Uh, Again, when we think about being quick to hear and slow to speak, I want to emphasize because uh, people utilize God's Word, obviously, in in bad ways. Uh, And and again, we just kind of who we are as people, we try to... um, we try to find loopholes in the Bible. And this is one of the places we would find a, a loophole. Uh, or people would try to find a loophole. Well, they would say, 
Well, the book of James, it tells me to be quick to hear and slow to speak, right? And this is regarding, say, a couple that's been in a uh, been in an argument. Uh, there's conflict. And one of them decides to kind of just remove themselves from the situation. And they don't speak to their spouse for three or four days. And then the one spouse comes back and says, well, you know, I want to talk about this. Let's talk about the situation. Why, why won't you talk to me about this? Well, you know, the Bible says to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Right? That's not what this is talking about at all. Right? And so we have to be very careful about those things. Again, people try to use this as justification to shutting down um, and not wanting to resolve conflict, all those things. So we've got to be careful that um, we, we rightly apply these things, right? Keeping silent inside and out, uh, having our thoughts on what is being said instead of trying to formulate our own ideas about what we are hearing. Uh, so when we think about uh, slow to speak, quick, quick to hear, slow to speak, it's about all of that. Keeping silent inside and out and, and really having our thoughts on what is being said instead of trying to formulate our own ideas about what we are hearing, which is exactly what John was talking about. We want to make sure that we are um, correctly understanding a situation and correctly responding to a situation. <clears throat> there is an uh, appropriate time to speak. And when we speak, it should be well thought through. That really is kind of the idea that's going on here. When we respond, we want to make sure that it's well thought through. And that's just very important as we think about uh, those things. Responding to what we are taught or teaching others should be thought out so that we don't lead others astray. So we want to see that as a danger of not behaving righteously, not being quick to hear and slow to speak. Um, all of those things can produce leading others astray. And we don't want to do that. And so keep that in mind as we think about those things. Um, and even how we respond at times. Uh, again, the, um, we've got to be careful in the sense of we can have the right message, kind of talking about communication again. Uh, we can have the right message. I can be sending the right message, but tone of voice is very important. That can change everything, right? That's why we see, I think I've got it, yeah. Yeah, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. All right, somebody wants to get into a shouting match with us. We have, there's no reason for us to get in the shouting match as well. <clears throat> they're angry. They're venting their anger at us. That doesn't mean we have to return in kind. In fact, uh, there's wisdom in not returning in kind. We should not return in kind. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 would, uh, would be uh, one of those places that would help us to understand that. We don't want to return, uh, return in kind. And you think about, even in Proverbs 10:19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And so just in that we can think about, again, this is proverbial literature, but we can think in there the, the, the wisdom that is there. And that's when we just keep going on and on and on and on, um, pretty soon transgression is going to happen. Um, but if we restrain our lips, um, it, it's wise to do that. And so we just want to be careful 
about those things. Any questions on kind of those two things we were talking about, quick to hear and slow to speak? So is the sender of the message responsible if I want to call the person Yeah, good question. Nancy is asking the question, am I responsible for the message I'm sending? And it, it, with regard to how the other person's receiving it, uh, there is a really kind of a yes and no answer to that. Um, I can be, uh, the message I send can be crystal clear. Right? I can send that message to, say, a, a child, uh, assuming, assuming I have already instructed them properly on how they are to clean their bedroom. What does that actually entail, right? When I say clean your bedroom, it doesn't mean taking everything in your bedroom and shoving it under your bed so I can't see it. Um, and things look well, right? But it's not clean. Um, they know what I, what I mean by that, folding the clothes, putting them in their drawers nicely, uh, making the bed so it's got military corners, you know, all that, all that stuff. <laughs> um, I, I've instructed them properly. And I say to my child, uh, go clean your bedroom. And they go in there and they shove everything under the bed. Uh, I have sent a clear message. I have, uh, I have given them a clear message, which they are fully capable of understanding. They have just decided to not uh, obey that, that message or that directive. Um, so... We can give a clear message, and the message can be ignored. The person, the, the receiver, just doesn't want to hear the message. Um, uh, uh, they, they really want to uh, do their own thing. And that, that covers all kinds of circumstances. <clears throat> um, you talk, uh, you know, counseling uh, situations where uh, you have uh, uh, two adults and and uh, there's things going on in their relationship, and you take them to the Word of God, and you say, you know, here's what God's Word says. It's crystal clear that you need to stop this behavior. And they look at you, and they go, yeah, we see that's what it says, but uh, we're just not interested in doing that. I mean, the message is clear, and you, you haven't said it in a way that's antagonistic and all those things. Uh, they just don't want to hear the message. They don't, they don't want to give in and obey the message, right? But there can be times when we, uh, we give a message and it's not clear. And we do bear responsibility in that. Uh, we, we've got to be careful on, on those things. And so uh, there, there is a yes component to that question and there is also a no component to that question. Um, that's just uh, the reality of, of communication. Uh, in, in, you know, in, in a perfect world, we have a, a willing receiver and a willing, uh, a, a willing sender and a willing receiver. Um, that's the, the best scenario we can paint, um, but that's not always the case, right? So we have to be careful with, uh, with those things. So we want to be quick to hear, uh, slow to speak, and then the third one with regard to pursuing righteousness is slow to anger. And that does not necessarily mean an outburst of anger. Um, again, there could be somebody that uh, is just seething inside from something that is son said or done 
and they are letting anger really get in the way of whatever's going on. Uh, could be in that conversation or their thoughts about what a person uh, has done or is going to do or what they're going to do to them. All, all of those kinds of things are, are uh, uh, very important to think about. So again, we, when we talk about anger, there can be this outburst of anger, but uh, it, it can be more in line with this inner slow burn that a person has where they are contemplating revenge. And that is, again, something that is not pursuing the righteousness of God. Uh, I, I kind of want to get back at a person for what they have done. Or I want to uh, not be engaged in the situation anymore, right? Um, uh, that's, again, why I kind of go back to, I think, Genesis 4 is a, a great place with regard to Cain and Abel. Um, Cain is definitely burning inside. And we know that because it says there that his countenance has changed. Again, that's kind of this halo data we think about when we have conversations. We can see that when we're talking to somebody and their countenance changes. You, you see it. Uh, it's, uh, I'm sure we've all experienced it uh, with friends, with family. I think uh, Barry, in all of her years teaching, I'm sure she saw it with hundreds and hundreds of kids. Uh, you know when that countenance, something's going on inside, right? And that was the, the situation with Cain. Yeah, he, was, uh, he was seething uh, with, with anger. That's, that's why he kills his brother, right? So we want to be careful uh, with those things. And a lot of times it has to do with that inner resentment, uh, and it really comes from not having our own way. Uh, you know, at the heart, at the heart of anger is this selfishness that we're not getting our own way. It's not uh, we're not getting what we want, or we're not liking the conviction that God has sent our way. Uh, you know, we we have to be careful about that as well. Uh, people are convicted of their sin, uh, and they simply don't like it. <laughs> they do not want God to call them on the carpet for what they are doing or have done. And they're just not going to put up with it. They're going to pursue their way over God's way. And again, that's why we are to carefully evaluate the Word of God as we hear it and as we examine the implications on our own life. What are the implications on my life from what God is telling me? Again, conviction is not all bad, and it is God's way of aligning us with His will. And that's part of what James is getting at here for these people. Uh, this is God's will for your life. And I'm sure many of them were probably fairly angry at God for where they find themselves. They're in bad, a bad situation. Uh, but it's uh, this is all part of God's will. And if this is God's will for my life, then so be it. What does God want me to learn through all of this? And so we have to be careful uh, with all of those things. Again, in Proverbs, Proverbs 7, 27, 17, 27, excuse me. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Again, this not giving way uh, to anger. 
Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. So Again, just a very clear message from Ecclesiastes in the sense of when we decide to respond in anger, uh, when we're either outbursts of anger or we're seething inside over something that's, that's happening, we are not being wise. It's just the opposite of that. We are being foolish. That's a great thing to teach our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whatever, um, in the sense of how are they responding? Are they being wise or are they being foolish? And so uh, we can take them to uh, places like this, again, with regard to uh, the foolishness of anger. Um, and I already mentioned, going back to Genesis 4, 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became, meaning he decided to act uh, very, uh, very angry and his countenance fell. Uh, so we see the direction uh, or the connection of what's going on inside in this outer uh, halo data, if you will. Uh, his disposition has changed. And we see that. I mean, again, you go to Jonah, the same kind of a thing. You see there, he becomes angry. Um, he tells God it would be better for him to die than have to go through this uh, situation or circumstance, right? You just see, uh, he, he has just seen this uh, massive evangelistic encounter uh, where all these people have been saved. And he's mad. He's angry. He's angry because they weren't wiped off the face of the earth, right? He is definitely not aligned with God's will. He is pursuing his will. His will is that the Ninevites would be slaughtered. God's will is the Ninevites would be saved. And that's where a lot of this comes in. It's the rub of our will versus uh, God's will. And so uh, we just have to be very careful again as these, uh, he mentions these three things here that they all go together. right? And, and I really would argue there's a progression. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If we're quick to hear, we're slow to speak, we're evaluating everything that's going on, uh, looking at it from uh, God's perspective, His will, uh, we're not going to respond in anger. Because there's something else going on than what we see. And that's very important. That's what he's talking to the audience about. There is something else, something bigger than you that's going on. And so we, we have to be mindful of that, Bob. Yes, sir. I think it's really powerful to re remind ourselves the source of the truth. Of yes. Of that we're and so, yeah. Some of the examples you brought up, it, it's almost as though, well, if I were God, I would. You <laughs> yeah. know, right. 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 Yeah. Amen. Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Bob is, 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 uh, 100% correct. Um, uh, the source of truth is our heavenly father. Uh, that, that job is already taken. Uh, we've got no business trying to, uh, supersede that. In fact, again, that's why we just go back to Genesis three. That's what got mankind in trouble in the first place. <laughs> uh, thinking that somehow, um, uh, we could be like God. Uh, it's, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Sue. So. 
Um, it could be one and the same. Um, uh, impatience in the sense, so my, my categories or clarifications, I guess, would be that uh, just because a person is impatient doesn't necessarily mean that they're angry. However, it, it can move into that. Um, so again, the, uh, the impatience aspect <clears throat> is, uh, well, I mean, everything's tied to pride, but uh, impatience is I want things to go my way and in my time. And when that doesn't happen, I'm going to finagle something or try to finagle something so that it does move forward in my way and my time. Because I'm not going to wait around for God to move this thing forward. And so at the, at the heart of impatience, we're looking at things like that. Uh, I shouldn't have to wait. I shouldn't have to endure whatever is going on because I need this thing to happen and I need it, need it to happen yesterday. Um, now, the anger can come in where the circumstances um, are uh, really controlling us. And as you see with, uh, with Cain or with Jonah, uh, they're kind of sick and tired of waiting around. And they think that by getting angry, they can move this thing forward. Um, that doesn't happen with every person who is impatient. Um, or at least I would, I don't think you can make that connection that every person that's impatient is also always going to respond in anger. Um, I think there's many people who are impatient that just don't want to, <laughs> they, they don't want to wait around, right? But they don't, uh, uh, they're not uh, running people off the road on the interstate or, you know, things like that. Uh, so it doesn't move in that direction. Um, now, there can be a component of anger in there in the sense of uh, um, we have to be careful because people will talk about, say, the roadway. This is happening. That's happening. And I'm, I'm frustrated. I was frustrated in this thing. Uh, frustration is really just a, a, a softer word for anger. And so, uh, yeah, for me, I would say you can't always, con there's not always that connection, um, but there, there certainly can be that connection. Yeah, Gary. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got to be careful, uh, you know, with those, uh, with those things. So um, a good, good part, or at least start to this section. We'll stop there. We've got parts two and three to, to cover next time. But uh, things to think about as we think about living uh, righteously before God. Uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger.
let's pray. And then don't forget the membership thing. Skedaddle over there and take part of that. Father, we thank you for our time this morning and certainly the profitability of the Word of God and James as we see these instructions. Help these things sink deep into our hearts and may it be that we think through and uh, on how to rightly apply those things and may uh, your grace allow us to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen and learn with us. We hope that next time you'll join us in person. We meet every Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10 a.m. In addition to our traditional worship service, we also offer Sunday school classes for children and adults, as well as child care services in our staffed nursery. For more information about Bethel Baptist Church, please visit our website.